Morning. We are continuing our study, I think the fourth message in this study, introduced by that video, 1 Corinthians, seeing all of life through the gospel. We'll be in the second chapter of this letter, so if you have a Bible, turn it on, open it up to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. The Library of Congress, some of you have perhaps been there. The collection of the Library of Congress has 173 million items. More than 51 million catalog books and other print materials in over 470 languages. More than 75 million manuscripts. It also is the largest rare book collection uh, in North America. Now, all of that, uh, or most of that, and more, is at least accessible to most people, you know, the average, including the average teenager, on that small device uh, called the smartphone in your pocket. Think about that. Okay. That was, that's only, we live in the information age. That's what it's called, the information age. But that statement, that kind of access to that kind of, not only information, but knowledge, that's very recent, maybe last 10 years or so, I mean, uh, since that kind of advancement of that device and that availability. Now, all of this certainly information, the explosion, not only of information, but the access to information, has brought many, many good things uh, to uh, humanity, certainly in medicine, right? Uh, The access to that kind of information, disease prevention. Listen, the various technologies that have been uh, uh, um, created through uh, the explosion of information that have made life better uh, for many people, many people all over uh, the world, okay? Too many to name here this morning. Even literacy, when you think about all this information, well, have this information, going back to the Library of Congress anyway, you have to be able to read. Think about this. As recently as 1900, okay, 1900, the beginning of the 20th century, you know, a couple generations, maybe your, your, some of you would even be your grandparents, at, at least your great-grandparents, not that long ago, okay, the literacy rate worldwide, not United States, worldwide, was a little bit over 20% literacy rate worldwide, just 120 years ago. Today, the literacy rate, so now you have all this information, worldwide, 87%, okay? It's not perfect, but 87% literacy rate. Think of how different that is in um, 120 years, okay? A lot has changed in the world that we live in. But when it comes to the question of the meaning of life, okay? Who is God? What does God, who is God? Is there a God? Who is God? What does he want from me? What does he want for me? These are big questions, right? For every human being. Who is God? What does he want? What is he about? What does he want for me? What does he want from me? This is the essence of religion, right? 
What does he want from me? When it comes to that question or those questions, one could argue that all of this explosion of information has done, helped very little, or at least has not helped anywhere near as you might expect it would if I was prophesying this, you know, what would happen, you know, in, in 1900, uh, what would be true today. Well, the Apostle Paul, back to our text here this morning, he's addressing a congregation that was very richly blessed by God. Go back to the first sermon. I want to re-give it. But he opens up the, the, these verses or, or this chapter uh, of this book and he says, listen, before I get to any problems, any difficulties, any remediation, spiritually speaking, right? Before I get into how I want to help you and encourage you, let me start with what, what's positive. God has richly blessed you. He's talking about as a Christian. He's talking to Christians, brothers and sisters. You have, been rich, you have been enriched in every way. Rich spiritual blessings. The forgiveness of sin. God's love has been lavished on you. And you have many spiritual gifts, which we'll get to later in this book. So he's saying, listen, I want to start with the, you know, the spiritual library of Congress that has been given to you in Jesus Christ. That's how he starts this book. Okay. Yet, here's the, the scratch that's being itched. They continue to struggle, this congregation, to live out those blessings in their lives. You know, you, you ever have that? Someone says, you know, why are you having such a problem? You have all this money. You have all this education. You have, in other words, they had these great resources, spiritually speaking, but yet they were not living as if they had these resources. Their lives were largely unchanged as Christians. That's the itch this book is scratching. Why was that? Because it was not because they had not changed in the way they were pursuing the Christian life. They had not changed in the wisdom of the world for the wisdom of God. See? This is what Paul's talking about in the first couple chapters. We, some people become Christians, you and I become Christians, but then we seek to grow in the Christian life, advance in the Christian life by using the world's ways, by using the best practices of the world. And Paul's saying, listen, you can't get there that way. If you don't exchange the wisdom of the world in for what he's going to talk about is the wisdom of God, you're not going to advance as a Christian. In fact, what's going to happen as a Christian, you can grow in years, you'll go from five years to 10 years to 30 years to 40 years as Christians, but you will be locked in a kind of spiritual immaturity. Okay? You'll be locked in a kind of spiritual immaturity. It's a real danger then and now. This book is an attempt in many ways to get them out of that spiritual immaturity. So that's where we are today. Chapter 2, we're going to read verse 6 through 16 in a message titled, Maturity. Maturity. Follow along as I read chapter 2. We do, however, the Apostle Paul speaking, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. 
However, as it is written, book of Isaiah, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has even conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. These things, these are revealed, these are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. Okay? By his spirit. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we might understand, we may understand, what God has freely given us. This is what we speak. Not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. Pastor, why do my friends don't understand the gospel? Why do they think I'm nuts? Why do they not see the world the way that I do? The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things. But such a person is not subject to merely, merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? A famous quotation from from the Old Testament, the book of Isaiah. But he says... In, a, in, in, an, in an amazing turn, but we have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. Maturity. There is a maturity. There is a maturity. There is a wisdom. Christianity is not, not, not void of wisdom just because the world's wisdom has been seen as lacking. And Paul dismisses the world's, the world's wisdom in the first chapter. He says, listen, oh, there is a wisdom. There is a maturity, okay? But it's not found in the libraries of the world. It begins with a revelation. That's what he's trying to say. It begins with a revelation. What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no mind has conceived, okay? Doesn't matter who that mind is, whether it's Socrates or Plato or you name it. It doesn't matter who they are. What no mind, human mind has conceived. Okay, there is a wisdom, he's saying. Our message has a wisdom. We do speak a message of wisdom carefully among the mature. My message, there's wisdom in my message. The message of Jesus, which Paul is in many ways uh, uh, following, he's, he's reiterating it in his own words. And this wisdom is as big as the mind of God. That's what he's saying. Think about that. We have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of God. But this wisdom, the mind of God available to you and available to me, is not found in the libraries of the world. That's what he's trying to say. It's a mystery. Watch this. No, no verse 7. We declare God's wisdom... A mystery that has been hidden 
and God destined for our glory before time began. No eye has seen it. No one's ever heard it. No one ever thought of it until now. What a bold and, and wild claim Paul was making. No wonder people had a hard time following. Can you imagine? I got some wisdom from God. I got a revelation from God. I got something that all the people, even the prophets in the Old Testament, all those people did not know until now. It's been hidden in God. Isn't that amazing? What a profound, profound statement. What is that mystery? Okay, what is that mystery? A lot of confusion. Colossians chapter 1, same writer, Apostle Paul. Listen to these words. Very simple, very straightforward. I'm, I'm in the middle of a, of a paragraph. To them, God has chosen, who is the them? The Lord's people. That's the antecedent. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles, okay, non-Jews, the glorious riches of this mystery. He's been talking about it in many letters, including this one. Which is, drum roll, Christ in you, the hope of glory. The mystery is the gospel itself. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. Okay? Paul said, I didn't read it, chapter 2, verse 1. He said, listen, I preach one thing, Jesus Christ and him crucified. Okay, Jesus Christ and him crucified. The thing that no one saw coming, a crucified Messiah. Okay, it's kind of a contradiction in terms, right? You know, it's like a, the, the, the general that, you know, comes and, and, and doesn't have any... Uh, it uh, 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 doesn't have any armaments or something, you know, or, or, or the, you know, uh, the, uh, the, it, it doesn't make any sense. They had anticipated that the Messiah would come, you know, in, in the spirit of an Old Testament prophet and bring about great political revolution. Remember the apostle said to Jesus in Acts chapter 1, Lord, is it th at this time are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Jesus says, that's the wrong question, Right? But that's what they expected. What no one saw coming, a crucified Messiah, is the thing that turned out to solve the problem that was at the heart of the world, which wasn't about politics. It was about human sin. The gospel message, he's saying, right? Christ crucified is the deep things of God, right? The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. What is the deep things of God? It's the gospel. We never move on from it. We only move on to a more profound understanding and experience with it. That's what he's saying. What God has freely given us is Jesus Christ. My problems, your problems, in living a more a fully um, meaningful, with power Christian life I don't need new information. I'm not missing a chapter or, a, or, or some new ideas. What I'm, I already have everything I need. I need greater access to what I've been given. God has freely given us. Jonathan Edwards, one of the greatest minds, 18th century uh, 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 American theologian. There is a difference between having an opinion that God is holy and gracious and having a sense 
of that loveliness and beauty, of that holiness and grace. There is a difference between having a rational judgment that honey is sweet and tasting that sweetness. I'd say that's a great way to talk about a lot of Christian people, even brothers and sisters, right? We're having a relationship with God that's kind of in our head. We're having a relationship with God that's sort of about information. But we haven't allowed that, the, the Holy Spirit to take that information and to strike our hearts and to it, it detonate in our hearts and in our lives. That's what he's trying to talk about here. There's a difference between having an opinion about God that he's holy and gracious and a sense of that loveliness. I was about two weeks ago. I pulled in the parking lot. My car it was an evening, and I caught the, the glimpse of a guy behind, you know, a couple cars over, and he was looking at me, almost as if he was waiting for me. And I got out of the car, and he got out of the car, and he came up to me, and immediately I recognized him. He was a guy I grew up with. And I hadn't seen him for about four years, and where I saw four years since last time I saw him was in a Celebrate Recovery meeting. If you know, we have this ministry called Celebrate Recovery, and I'd seen him there for the first time in many, many years, about four years ago. He came to Celebrate Recovery. And he came up to me and he just looked different. You know, had that kind of glow about his face. He had this sort of deep stare. Looked me right in the face. And I said, how you doing? Hadn't seen him in about three years. He said, great. I said, what's new? He said, I've been clean and sober for three years. I have a new significant other in my life. He has a good job, but he said, I'm interviewing for, he mentioned this big company in Rochester. He said, you know, things are going great. And Celebrate Recovery, if you don't know about it, it's a, it's a recovery ministry, but it's Christ-centered, right? It's, it's recovery with Christ at the center. I said, well, what about Jesus? You know, how's Jesus, you know? And he said, he's been with me the whole way through. And he just had this look on his face. He had a look on his face as someone who didn't just have an opinion about God, who's someone who had sensed God's loveliness. He didn't have a rational judgment that honey is sweet. He had tasted his sweetness. Okay. What Paul is saying here, what I'm saying to you and all, right, to, to you here this morning, is listen, um, it begins with a revelation. There is a wisdom of God. Oh my goodness, what's available to you, what's available to me, makes the Library of Congress look like a drop in the bucket. You have access to the mind of God, but it begins with a humble dependent, day in and day out uh, submission to the Holy Spirit of God. It is the Spirit of God who searches all things, yea, the deep things of God and makes them known to you. It begins with a revelation. Second, I'm going to say in this passage, it's deepened by a disciplined study of God's word. It's deepened by a disciplined study. So much I could say about 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Virtually every form of what I'll call spiritual elitism has appealed to this text. First, what do I mean by spiritual elitism? I mean over the history of the church, including the present day. I'm talking about groups of churches or, or movements or sometimes whole denominations that say, listen, we have found some greater truth. We have found some deeper life truth, Right? that we have sort of access to, and we want to make, we want to be able to sort of, you know, encourage you, challenge you. We found some deeper truth that we, that you don't know yet, but we know we want to invite you into this deeper life movement. I call that spiritual elitism. Almost every form, and there are so many in our day, have 
appeal to this text, but the interesting thing is, and that was happening in this congregation too. We'll get to it later in this study. The focus of this revelation, right? The Spirit, these things, these are the things God has revealed to us by His Spirit. The focus of this revelation is not new truth. It's not personal truth. Like God came to me and said, listen, I'm going to tell you something about you that you've never known before. New truth about you or about the future. It's not new theology. It's a deeper understanding, this revelation, of what God has already given us. What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, watch very carefully, end of verse 12, so that we may understand, okay, it's insight, what God has already freely given us. What he's saying is, listen, you have the answer, you have the power, you have the truth, you have the grace, you have access to the forgiveness. The problem isn't getting more, it's accessing what you have. That's the purpose of the Spirit of God. That's the purpose of access to the mind of God. You already have it. The revealed mystery, we just talked about it, is the person and work of Jesus Christ. Listen, what the Apostle Paul says in verse 13, okay, just that one verse, it's the doctrine, we talked about this in January, of the inspiration of Scripture. It's a whole sermon series. But let me just read the verse. This is how, it's so bold what he's saying. I, I can't imagine how he gets away with it. Or I mean, I mean, gets away with it in the sense of, if, if I had to say this, I would be so, um, I'd hardly be able to get the words out because it would sound so crazy and ridiculous. But this is what Paul was saying. Verse 13. This is what we speak. You know, when he says we, he means the apostles. He's trying to say, listen, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit. So listen, what I'm writing to you in these letters, this isn't the world's best wisdom. I'm not taking Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, and fine-tuning it. I'm not trying to outdo the philosophers of this age. It's a whole different character. And although I do have a great resume, Paul, I have a great education, it's really not about that either. It's a revelation from the Spirit. We speak not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. He's saying, listen, as crazy as it sounds, because I'm a sinner just like you, I put my pants on one leg at a time. Paul's saying, as crazy as this sounds, I know it doesn't make sense, but this is revelation. This is the inspiration. The words I'm speaking to you, they are the very words of God. And no one was more surprised by this than the Apostle Paul himself. The verses I didn't read, chapter 2, verse 3. This is how he says to this congregation because he's preparing them for this bold revelation to say, listen, it's not about me. I came to you He's writing this letter probably five years after he was there. I came to you in weakness and with great fear and trembling. Now, why did he come with great fear and trembling? Okay? It wasn't because of their you know, attitudes or, or lifestyle. or It was because he, he, God said to him, almost like he said to Jeremiah, I'm going to put my words in your mouth. I'm going to make you steal. And you just go and say, you open your mouth and say, thus 
saith the Lord. Except in Paul's case, he says, not only is it going to come out of your mouth, you're going to write letters, right, that are going to be reflective of your personality, that are going to show some of your hurts, even some of your personality and sarcasm. But all of that's going to be true, but it's also going to be the word of God that's going to change people's lives. And Paul says, I came to you with fear and trembling because who gets an assignment like that? My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words. I wasn't a great orator, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom. That's the problem. That's why you're not growing. But on God's power. The fact that we have the words and believe them or claim to believe them, that's true for many of us in this room, does not by itself mean they're going to change your life. That's what Paul's saying. The fact that you have the words of God and you believe them or claim to believe them as I do does not by itself mean it's going to change your life. They have to get inside of you into the dark places, into the hard places of your life to heal you and transform you, okay? That's, and this is called, another powerful truth here, the doctrine of illumination, okay? Illumination. Verse 14. Those without the Spirit, they don't get it. They cannot understand the words because they are discerned only through the Spirit, okay? You have the words, I have the words, brothers and sisters, he's talking to Christians here. But he's saying these words have not detonated in your heart, they have not transformed your heart because you haven't had a kind of dependence on the Holy Spirit. You haven't put down the ways of this world that you think are going to uh, advance your Christian life and become wholly dependent on the ways of God that the Spirit of God would take those words and make them alive in you. That's what you need to do, okay? That's what you haven't done. That's illumination. John 16, Jesus says the same thing. Jesus is saying this to his disciples. Speaking of the same subject, I have much more to say to you and much uh, more than you can now bear. Can you imagine walking around with Jesus? You know, you're, you're getting this, and this isn't one weekend, it's three years. You mean like, I can't take notes fast enough. And Jesus says, listen, uh, put the notepads down, guys, because you, 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 it's too much. I have so much to say that you cannot bear now. It's okay. I'm going to give you another resource. And it's not going to be a book simply. It's going to be the spiritual version of the Library of Congress in your, in your life. But when he, the Spirit of Truth, the Holy Spirit of God, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will only speak what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me, right? I have so much more to say to you, the words and teachings of Jesus. It is because of me that he will receive what he will make known unto you. Okay? Not just the words of Jesus, but actually Jesus said in Luke 24, he said, listen, all of the scriptures are about me. He began with Moses and the prophets. There wasn't even a New Testament. And he said, he revealed to the disciples all of the things concerning himself. The whole Bible's about Jesus. And Jesus says, listen, 
Though that's the purpose of the Holy Spirit of God. Alan Jones, one of the great theologians of our day. One of the problems is that very few of us have developed any distinctive personal life. Everything about us seems secondhand, even our emotions. I accept the word of a physician, a scientist, a farmer on trust, right? Knowledge, you know, we, we, we're not all, uh, we don't know, there's a lot, we trust people for important things in our life every day. But when it comes to questions of meaning, purpose, and death, Second-hand information will not do. I cannot survive on a second-hand faith in a second-hand God. There has to be a personal word, a unique confrontation if I am to come alive. That's what Paul's saying here, okay? A, a personal word from God, a unique confrontation if I am to come alive, where the word of God, right, the spirit of God takes the word of God, it's living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword, it divides soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and, and reveals the thoughts and hidden intents of the heart, Hebrews chapter 4, that's what the word of God does, do you have that kind of relationship with the word of God, do you come to it, yes you believe in it, yes I believe in it, that it's true, but do you humbly come forward and say, Holy Spirit of God, make these words alive in me. Make them living. May it be a personal word that many times encourages me, many times inspires me, many times brings deeper healing. Right? That's the gospel. But also a personal word that sometimes brings confrontation. That goes into the dark places in your heart, the hard places in your heart to loosen them up, to break them up, and then to give you and give me power and transformation. That's what we're talking about. Yes, there's Paul saying, listen, ladies and gentlemen, first or Corinthian congregation, listen, don't for a minute think there isn't a great wisdom available. Oh my goodness. I mean, wisdom, Proverbs chapter 8, wisdom, God invented wisdom. There is a wisdom but you've got to know where to find it. You're not going to find it. As wonderful as the Library of Congress is, and I'm all for that, we don't read enough. My, this is my message to Christians. Read more, right? We all need to read more and watch less. But when it comes to the spiritual truth, okay, most of the information in the Library of Congress is about the things of this world. All of that great truth, right? But the things of God are revealed by His Spirit. No eye has seen it. No ear has heard it. The, hasn't even, the human mind has not conceived it. What is the what? The beauty, the wisdom, the unbelievableness of the love of God revealed in a, in a Messiah. We preach Christ crucified. Who would have ever thought of such an unbelievable plan? It's the solution. It's at the heart of all the problems in the world is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the more you know it, you never move away from it, the more it changes and transforms your life. That's what the apostle is Paul is talking about. Maturity begins with a revelation. It's deepened by a disciplined study of God's word. Finally, it leads to thinking like God. So amazing. What he says at the end of this chapter is mind-blowing. No wonder they thought the apostles were nuts. Okay? Who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? Okay? 
Who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? Isaiah chapter 40. Uh, it was a rhetorical question. When, the, when, when Isaiah was saying to the nation of Israel, who kept always going somewhere else to find their strength, I'm going to run to Egypt. I'm going to run to Assyria. I'm going to run to these other places to find what I need. And time and again, the, the, the prophets are saying, you, you have the resource, you have everything you need in Yahweh, you have everything you need in God. Why are you going other places? Who has known the mind of the Lord? You're not going to find answers in those places. But he says, but we, now in the new age, new wine, you know, we have the mind of Christ. You have access. I have access to the mind of Christ. 17th century scientist, uh, Johann Kepler, Christian man, a lot of these great scientists in, in, in the, not only in, in the Middle Ages, but in, in, in the... Uh, modern era Christians. He was the one who, 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 who believed that, he, he was a, not only a scientist but a philosopher, Kepler, that scientific research and discovery, okay, he had a lot to do with, with Newton's law of gravity. He, he, a lot of the work that Kepler did helped uh, uh, produce that. He said, that he, he, this was his famous quote, scientific research and discovery is, quote, thinking God's thoughts after him. Isn't that amazing? He's saying, listen, gravity, of course, wasn't invented in the 18th century, was it? It was discovered in the 18th century. It was people who stumbled across, through scientific research, the truths of God that are, they're thinking God's thoughts after him. And what Paul is saying here, with the aspects to the Spirit of God, that's what you and I can do. We can think God's thoughts after him on virtually every subject, both my own personal life, needs of the gospel, and my way of understanding the world that I live in. Isn't that unbelievable? Now, there's a couple ways that we do that as we prepare for this great uh, communion together. Thinking God's thoughts after him. How do we do that? Two quick ways. First way is inside of us. That's what this is about. As Christians, listen, we do not automatically know everything that we need to know. I mean, you know that. And that's what the Apostle Paul is saying. If that, if that was not true, why would they write the New Testament letters? If you became a Christian, you go, you got it all. Download of the Spiritual Library of Congress, it's all done. I ipso facto, you're done. Wouldn't that be wonderful? But no, he's saying you have access to it all, day one. But now you've got to figure out how to get that into your heart and into your life. That's what we're talking about. So it's inside of us. As Christians, we don't, have, we don't have automatic access to everything there is to know. But with the Spirit's help, we have the ability to bring God's perspective to bear on every aspect of our lives. Oh my goodness. As Jesus said, don't take notes. You, you'll, you'll exhaust yourself. But you have the opportunity I have the opportunity every day to bring God's perspective. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what challenges you're facing. But the answer to the challenges you're facing is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a, it's a deeper understanding of the gospel. It's a deeper experience with the gospel. It's allowing the gospel of Jesus Christ to have greater penetration in your mind, in your heart, in your life. And you have the opportunity, I have the opportunity to bring God's perspective to bear 
I have so much more to say to you right now, but you can't bear it. But when he, the spirit of truth, will come, he will guide you into all truth. Where do you need God's perspective in your life today? That's what this moment's about. Okay, that's God inside of us. There's also God outside of us. In other words, how we live our lives. Philippians 2 says this. In your relationships, this is most of life's about relationships. In your relationships, husband, wife, mom, dad, brother, friend, neighbor, uh, work friends, enemies. In your relationships, have the same mindset that Jesus had. The mind of Christ. Have the same mindset that Jesus had. Who, although he was in God himself, he did not grasp his godliness. He didn't lead with power and I'm smarter than you. But emptied himself in a manner of speaking. He didn't lead with his power in that way. He emptied himself and became a servant. Even to death on the cross. That's the mindset. So as we share in this table... I want you to think about this. We're going to sing a song for a few minutes and then we're going to share in this together. But as we sing this song, New Wine, which is in many ways about the Holy Spirit, ask yourself two questions, okay? Two questions. One, where do you need, Christian person here, where do you need God's perspective? In what area of your life? See, it's different for every person in this room. Maybe it's something in your, in your heart. Maybe it's a, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a bitterness. It's a stuckness. It's a hardness. It's a darkness. Maybe it's something in your marriage. Maybe it's something in, I don't know what I'm going to do with my life at this state. I don't know what it is. Where do you need God's perspective? You have the library of libraries, spiritually speaking, available to you. It's called the mind of Christ. It's inexhaustible. Right? It's inexhaustible. And you have access to that. And the Spirit of God wants to guide you even in this moment. And it's through the gospel. That's number one. And then number two, some of you would say, um, it's on your relationships. Where do you need the mindset of Jesus Christ? Where do you need to look into your relationship and say, God, help me not to be someone who's looking to be served but to serve. I haven't served in my marriage. I haven't served in the, in the people that are in need all around me. I've been looking for people to serve me. Help me have the mindset of Christ. So think about that as we sing. We'll take this in just a couple minutes.